May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. Our summer sojourn through the Genesis stories of the matriarchs and patriarchs continues tonight. Last Sunday, we were called to consider the story of the binding of Isaac, the testing of Abraham, a story I said I found to be one of the most troubling in the whole of the biblical narrative. Tonight, it's a story of an entirely different kind. It's a betrothal story, one that again reminds us of just how different our world is from the world of our ancestors in faith. Yet, as is so often true of these ancient stories, for all that they reflect that different world, there is still much to be gleaned, and there are these moments of familiarity. Now, the one significant incident that has taken place between last week's story and this week's is the death of Sarah, the first great matriarch, which has evidently inspired Abraham to begin to arrange to find for Isaac a wife. After all, Isaac is the promised heir, the unexpected child born to Sarah and Abraham late in their lives. And if he doesn't get himself partnered and begin to have children, the promise that a great people will spring forth from Sarah and Abraham will be left unfulfilled. Abraham, though, is not interested in having his son marry a Canaanite woman. And so he sends a servant back to the land from which he'd come. The servant sets out, laden with gifts and accompanied by ten camels. And when he arrives, he prays a most unlikely sort of prayer. Sitting at the well just outside of the city of Nahor, the servant prays, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Well, that's not the unusual part. I suspect that an awful lot of the soccer players in the World Cup are praying similar prayers, please grant me success this day. What's unusual, though, is the kind of challenge that he then sets up. If a woman comes out to the well, and when I ask for a drink, she not only gives me water, but also offers to fetch water for the camels, then I'll know that this is the one for Isaac. Right, Lord? Talk about bargaining with God for a clear sign. Sure enough... A young woman soon arrives. Her name is Rebecca. The storyteller is careful to note that the girl was very fair to look upon. This is very promising indeed. It becomes even more promising when Rebecca actually does just what the servant imagined. He asks her for a drink and she readily gives it to him. And then without being asked, She offers to water the ten camels as well. Now, in her comments on the passage, Catherine Schiffedecker, an Old Testament scholar from Luther Seminary in Minnesota, notes that, quote, there is humor here. Rebecca offers to draw water for the camels. 
but one camel can drink 20 to 30 gallons of water at a time, and there are 10 camels. Rebecca is not only beautiful, it seems, but exceedingly strong. I mean, seriously, what more could a nomadic herder want than a beautiful wife who can also handle herself so well at the water trough? Many a Mennonite bachelor farmer (laughs) has probably dreamt of meeting a woman just like Rebecca. The storyteller adds that while Rebecca was attending to this work, hauling all of those gallons of water, the servant gazed at her in silence to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. Almost as if he's not going to believe it until he'd seen her haul 250 gallons of water. Well, she dealt with the water and the camels quite handily. And so the servant took out a gold nose ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels, maybe to impress on Rebecca that he was a man worth dealing with. He then asked who her father was and if there might be room for him to stay for the night at a place for the animals as well. And sure enough, Rebecca says that there is room. In Everett Fox's very direct translation from the Hebrew text, Rebecca's reply is, Yes, there is straw. Yes, plenty of fodder with us. And yes, a place to stay the night. Fox notes that not until she has extended the offer of hospitality and enthusiastically with a triple yes is the servant sure that Yahweh has granted success to the journey. Hospitality, once again, is the determinant. Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, the servant now prays. The Lord has led me on the way to the house of my master's kin. And yes, they are kin. Rebecca is Abraham's grandniece. I know, I know, in our world that would likely be received as a bit of a problem, kissing cousins and all that. But in their world, the fact that they were related was a blessing. Rebecca runs home to tell her mother of all that has happened at the well. And that's where tonight's reading actually picks up. But you need that longer background to make sense of it all. Rebecca's brother Laban comes out to meet the stranger, to meet this servant, asking who he is and from where he has come. I am Abraham's servant, the man answers. And then he explains the nature of his quest, retells all that has happened to this point. And here again, Catherine Schiffedecker sees the humor at work in the story, as she notes that while Laban may be appropriately hospitable and pious, it doesn't hurt that he has seen the gold jewelry that Abraham's servant gave to his sister. Laban will surface again in the Genesis narratives, playing a very, very important role. 
but also playing the part of something of a wheeler-dealer, the ancient world's equivalent of the stereotypical used car salesman. We've just been given the heads up in his response to those gold bracelets and that nose ring. Well, the story rolls forward. And with Laban now satisfied by the stature of the family into which his sister will marry, Rebecca readily consents to go. They ask her, will you go? Yes, I will go. The traveling party packs for its departure. The family blesses her in her new life. And then the camera moves and shifts back to Isaac. Isaac went out to the field one evening to meditate, our translation says. And as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. The camera cuts quickly back to Rebecca, who also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, Who is that man in the field coming to meet us? Schifferdecker suggests that we see not only the signs of a budding romance here, but again some serious humor, noting that the Hebrew very plainly says that she falls off the camel. (laughs) Who is that? It's something that has never managed to make its way into our conventional English translations. And then the servant told Isaac all he had done, the storyteller continues. And Isaac brought Rebekah into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married her. So she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. You could almost add to that and they lived happily ever after. You'd have a kind of a classic folk tale or fairy tale even, wouldn't you? Not only is there a fresh romance, but the grieving Isaac finds that he can move past a place of sorrow over the death of his mother and into the beginning of a life filled with new promise. And it's all around falling in love with this remarkable woman. Babies can't be far behind, can they? Well, as it turns out, that couple will have difficulty conceiving a child, but in time, twin boys will be born to them, Jacob and Esau, and so the stories will roll forward. But for tonight, maybe we should just ask, why this happily ever after story was chosen as one to be featured in the lectionary. It's about a two-month period that, that finds us in these Genesis narratives. There's a whole series of good stories well told in Genesis. And so this is just one of that smallish handful of seven or eight that we'll read. Why did they choose this one? I have to admit that when I first sat down on Monday morning and read through the texts for Sunday night, particularly in that kind of truncated form that was appointed to be read, I had to wonder a bit about why, why this story? 
Last week we had that very important, very complex story about the binding of Isaac, the testing of Abraham. Next week it's a story of the roots of the deep tension between Jacob and Esau, the sons of Isaac and Rebekah which sets up the whole story of Jacob, one of the key stories in the whole of the Bible, one of the most extraordinary characters in the Bible. In fact, how does this little romance, this betrothal story, compare with the likes of those? Well, maybe because it is a romance. And maybe because God actually takes romances including our romances, quite seriously as sources of life and grace. Isaac is said to love Rebekah, which in their world was not something considered of any importance in arranging a marriage. But here in this story, Isaac's love for Rebekah and the love that is returned matters. It counts. Maybe we're called to attend to the story because Rebecca is really the star character. And in so many ways, a much stronger character in this second generation family than is Isaac. She is the one willing to leave behind home and family, to leave behind the familiar, and to travel to this unknown land just as Abraham and Sarah before her had done. She, though, even does it alone, stepping into this unknown relationship, prepared to trust herself into the unknown. Remember, it's the servant who does the praying and the servant who receives the sign, not Rebecca. Rebecca, beautiful and strong and decisive, will see the hand of God only in retrospect. But still, she goes. And in time, she will discover not only the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, she'll also discover the God of Sarah, who walk before her, and Leah and Rachel, who walk after her. She will discover, in short, the God of the matriarchs as well as of the patriarchs. We tell the story, in other words, because Rebecca is one of our matriarchs, just as Isaac is one of our patriarchs. They are among our ancient forebears, and we need to know about those who've gone before us. And to do that, to know about what happened before us, there's just nothing like a good story well told. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.